Good evening, church. This evening, we are going to look at Luke chapter 22. So if you would take a copy of God's Word and join me tonight in the 22nd chapter of Luke's Gospel. There in your bulletin, it says we'll read 14 through 23. In fact, this evening, we'll read 7 through 23, verses 7 through 23. We were going through Luke's gospel, and we came here to Luke 22. We would come with a dark sense of foreboding. The cross is almost on the horizon. But first, a meal. Meals are important in the Bible. They're important in Luke's gospel. There's at least seven meal scenes with Jesus. Luke gives us a glimpse here into Jesus' last meal before the cross. And it's over a dinner table that Jesus explains the meaning and purpose of his death. And he gives his disciples a meal, a meal that they are to return to again and again, for hope and for renewal until God makes all things new. Before we read our passage this evening, let's pray again and ask for the Lord's help. Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we are here tonight to commune with you through your son. We are here to come and be filled with him. So we ask that by your spirits working among us, that we would see the glory of the Savior through the preaching of your word tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God from Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. 
For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they have eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. I have this thing where I remember meals. I remember meals that I had as a kid. I remember meals that my great-great-grandmother prepared for me. I remember meals that I ate nearly 10 years ago on my honeymoon. I remember meals. Some people don't have this problem. I remember the meal I had this evening because it had a lot of garlic, and there's a lesson to be learned about preaching after having a meal with a lot of garlic. In this passage, we have three meals. Two of the meals are remembered, but the purpose of the meal is to remember. And then there's a third meal that's mentioned here in this passage that points us forward. So I wanted to consider mainly verses 15 through verse 20 this evening. And under the Three headings of, of this. First, we'll look at the final Passover. Then, I want us to see the feast to come. Then, the food we need today. Let's begin with in verse 15. Look back there in your Bible. The final Passover. Jesus knows his death is right around the corner. And while bracing for the suffering he knows he must endure, he desires to share a meal with his disciples. There it is in verse 15. Look there. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have earnestly desired to eat it. A wooden translation would be something like, with desire I have desired. Here Jesus is expressing something of a longing and a depth to be in this moment with his disciples right now. I think it's because he had up to this point been trying to tell them about his suffering and his death. He's trying to tell them and has been now for what is going to happen the next day. And even recently, if we were to Look back at Luke 18. His disciples don't get it. And there Luke tells us where Jesus communicates to his disciples in Luke 18, 31, 34. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. 
For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And then in verse 34, look at Luke's comment. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Jesus desires to have this Passover meal with his disciples because in it, he's going to show them what they had trouble understanding. And after the events of Thursday night, the disciples won't totally get it yet. But what they did not grasp before, they will be one step closer to grasping. Because it is here that Jesus explains to them that the Passover meal is about him. They are gathered to remember and celebrate a great salvation event, what the Bible calls the Passover. And it had become a ritual for the Jews by God's command. And in Jesus' day, it was the most important of the three annual pilgrimage that Jews made to Jerusalem. It was the meal that began a feast. It was the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And it was to remember when the Lord delivered Abraham's descendants from slavery in Egypt. I remind you of the events of the book of Exodus, that the Lord raised Moses up to be a deliverer of his people on behalf of God's people. And as God's representative, Moses stood before Pharaoh demanding that God's people be freed from their slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh wasn't interested in losing his workforce. God hardened his heart so that his glory might be on display through his conquering of Egypt. And so through Moses, God brought 10 plagues on Egypt to terrorize Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But with the first nine, Pharaoh would not let them go until the last plague. It was the 10th. It was the plague that killed all the firstborn sons of Egypt. But before that plague, the Lord gave his people instructions. Their instructions were to kill a lamb and put the lamb's blood on the doorpost of their residence. And then they were to go in and have a late evening meal and to eat the lamb. All the households that followed the Lord's instructions were spared. And as the Lord was striking down all the firstborn sons of Egypt, he passed over all the houses that had blood on the doorpost. God's people escape Egypt. Pharaoh pursues. But in their escape, in their exodus, the Lord wanted them to always remember the way that he delivered them. And so they were to repeat that meal annually. They were to remember how they were spared and delivered as the Lord passed over their homes. And here explicitly, Jesus is linking his life, death, and the next 24 hours with the Passover. He's linking there in verse 15, Passover with his suffering. 
He wants them to connect the suffering that he was about to experience with the lamb that was sacrificed every year in remembrance of the Passover. There it said in verse 7 that they were to find a Passover lamb that had to be sacrificed. And now the disciples at this meal, having the Passover with Jesus, they get a better grasp of what they probably heard John the Baptist proclaim. They probably get a better grip on what John the Baptist said when he said Jesus was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. They get a better grasp on what we just read earlier this evening in Isaiah 53 where the prophet says that the suffering servant would be like a lamb led to slaughter. And Jesus wants his disciples to know that he is the final lamb. And so he will give them a new meal. Here we see the cost of our salvation. The eternal son of God takes on flesh to serve the purpose of being the lamb to be sacrificed. But he's the last lamb. Passover is about him. But in this lamb, there is a totality of suffering that will provide salvation for sinners and all who would call upon him. In this passage, we see something of everything the lamb would suffer. He says he will suffer for his people on behalf of them. And as he's saying these things, he's looking around the table at the men with them who's been with him for three years. The guys that he has spent evenings and days and meals with, casual meals and festival meals and feasts, those who have seen his miracles, those who have seen him feed thousands with bread and fish. And he looks at one of them and he says, my betrayer is here. My betrayer, the one who will turn me over to this suffering. There's suffering that he will experience on the cross, and there's suffering that he's experiencing right now. As he's sharing a meal with the one who would turn him over to the jealous religious leaders who are seeking his death. Dear Christian, Jesus suffered betrayal. He suffered physical pain for your sin. He suffered the anguish and forsakenness of bearing your sins on the cross. But because of the totality of his suffering, we don't need another lamb. This is the last Passover observance. The next meal that's mentioned here, you may not have noticed it before going through this passage. We see it in 16 through 18. Jesus speaks of a feast to come. Some have called this the Messianic banquet. Or you may have heard of it from the book of Revelation as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look back at verse 16 through 18 again. Here Jesus says, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then in verse 18, For I tell you, 
that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Having just identified himself as the final lamb, he tells them how this lamb is different than all the lambs that have come before. This lamb who will be sacrificed, this lamb will eat again. This will not be Jesus' last meal. And there's something implied even of his resurrection here. This is his last supper before his death. But he approaches death anticipating a meal to come. And to identify what meal he's talking about there, it's really there in verse 18. He says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In scriptures, wine is a sign of blessing. When there's an abundance of wine, it means that God has blessed your vineyard. And so when the Bible oftentimes speaks about God making all things right, we're given a picture of there being abundant, flowing wine. That when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness and there's the consummation and all things are made new, there's going to be a heavenly party. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 25 speaks of it in verses 6 through 9 where it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You may not have been familiar with Isaiah 25, but there was something in there that you've, you've heard before. The Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces. There's a feast to come with flowing wine. Jesus is looking forward to it. And on that day, all tears will be wiped away. Death will be vanquished. And the Apostle John picks up on what Isaiah spoke of in the book of Revelation 21.4. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And in Revelation 19, we learn that this messianic banquet where God has made all things new and death has been conquered forever, that it's a marriage party. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 6 through 8, hallelujah to the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready and it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The weight of the cross and being God's final Lamb for his people was a tremendous burden for Jesus. 
So to lift his eyes, he thinks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's the thought of that feast to come. It helps Jesus prepare his heart for the cross. On Thursday night, it's on his mind. He said, one day I will have wine again with you. He thinks of the feast where he will receive the bride he died for. And he looks towards the feast to come as the cross is on the horizon. And then there's a third meal that's referenced here. It's the institution of the Lord's Supper. It is the food we need for today. It is now that Jesus really breaks from the Passover ritual and gives a new meal. We would have expected him to take the lamb that was before them and to hold up the lamb and say, this is my body. But instead, he takes bread. Following the Passover celebration, the week following was where the Jews would observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the night of the Passover, when they left Egypt, they left in haste. And they were to take unleavened bread because they were not supposed to wait for the bread to rise. And this was supposed to be part of their annual remembering. And Jesus wants his disciples to know that the meal he was now giving them was for those who are leaving Egypt and heading towards the promised land. He's giving them pilgrim's food. It's food for those who've been freed from the tyranny of sin and from the guilt of sin but have not yet reached heaven. It is bread to sustain you on the journey. And it's now that his disciples get a better grasp of what Jesus meant when he previously said he was the bread of life. And in John 6, Jesus linked himself to the manna that God miraculously fed the Israelites with as they were traveling to the promised land in the wilderness. And what makes Jesus bread, the bread of life? His body given for us. It's vicarious bread. It's bread given for you. The preposition there for carries with it the idea of in place of another. It's his body sacrificed in the place of sinners that brings salvation. And the bread tells all who are being saved that there is enough nourishment for the journey from his once and for all sacrifice. And from there, the meal moves from bread to cup the wine given to the disciples, now the, the image changes from a future feast to now he wants to tie another biblical image for wine, and that's the blood. And he gives them a cup with wine to say, this is the blood that will be shed for you, but it's a new covenant. It's new covenant shedding. The new covenant of my blood is Israel left Egypt, and they come to Mount Sinai. There at the mountain, their identity as God's people is sealed with the covenant. In Exodus 24, 8, it says, the blood of the covenant that the Lord made with you. And Jesus' disciples would have thought of that 
They were to tie the cup to the covenant. But it wasn't just any covenant. It was specifically the new covenant. And his disciples would have heard the echoes of the prophet Jeremiah. When the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, when he spoke of the new covenant, the apex being Jeremiah saying that in the new covenant, God will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. A covenant, agreement between two parties. Oftentimes in scriptures, it includes the shedding of blood. It is the sacrifice that is given. It is blood that is shed. And it's meant to show this is what will happen if the covenant is broken. The blood is the payment for breaking the covenant. God made a covenant with his people and they violated its terms by sinning against him, by not keeping his law, by not keeping his covenant. Jesus has not violated the terms of the covenant. So his blood is able to secure a new and forever covenant in which his people's sins will be forgiven. The cup tells us that the forgiveness has been secured for all who would trust in Jesus. Forgiveness is certain because it's been bought by the blood of Jesus. Now, where I was raised, we're always thinking about food. There's a saying, uh, goes like this, let's eat lunch and talk about dinner. Food's on the brain, it's on the mind, it's on just, just part of just how I was raised. So this passage is very helpful for me. But it is a fair question to say, why does God insist on using food to tell us of salvation? Why does Jesus so closely tie his sacrifice for sinners with a meal? Well, it's because sin entered the world through a meal. Adam and Eve took what was forbidden and ate. Derek Kidner has said, and I quote, So simple the act, so hard it's undoing. God will taste poverty and death before take and eat become verbs of salvation. Or as Ligon Duncan has put it, Satan said take and eat to ruin man. Jesus said take and eat to save man. Here we have three meals and we see that Passover was a shadow. It was a shadow of what the Lord would give us in the supper. But here, the supper itself is for those on the journey to the new heavens and the new earth. The supper itself, in some ways, is a shadow of the feast to come. The communion we have at the Lord's table is a temporary meal, but it points us to the forever covenant purchased in his blood. It's only a taste, but it's a taste of heaven. 
It's not all there is, but it's what we need. It helps us remember backward looking to the cross, forward looking to the marriage supper of the Lamb, presently engaging. It's one of the ways that God puts a seal on our hearts that we belong to Jesus. Christ has a love with such depth that it's almost inexpressible by words. And such love he will demonstrate for his disciples at the cross. And such love he gives them a meal to feed upon him at the Lord's table. Let us pray and prepare our hearts for the table. Our great God, we thank you for Christ's once and for all sacrifice. We thank you for the gift of a meal. We ask that gospel realities will be drilled down deep in our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.